0: Welcome. You're listening to Gravity Healthcare Hacks with your host, Melissa Brown, Chief Operating Officer from Gravity Healthcare Consulting and self-professed healthcare nerd. Monthly, we will provide industry expertise and tips to help keep your feet firmly on the ground in the world of healthcare. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining our podcast today. We're bringing the second part of the riveting podcast we did last month, Reimagining Work-Life Balance. Our guest today is, again, my longtime colleague, Kristen Diamond, the Chief of Staff for Care Ventures, Flagship Rehabilitation, Gravity, WellQuest Home Health, and actually there's even more than that. Her diverse experience across the healthcare spectrum and outside of it, leading small and large teams to success. Makes her the perfect person to discuss our topic today. Welcome again, Kristen. So let's dive right in with where we left off last week, talking more about work-life balance and how executives can actually accomplish that feeling of getting it all done.
1: Well, on the work side of things, I I will definitely say... Again, to make sure that the goals set for you um, are manageable. And if you don't feel that they are, to really voice that and communicate that, you need to be efficient, as efficient as possible. And sometimes technology plays a lot in that now. and I, I still don't think that all of us probably use technology to the to the best that we can to be even more efficient. But I think about things that that took maybe an, an hour to do five years ago and the way that technology just continues to evolve does not take as long. I think really looking at your processes to, to ensure that you are being the most efficient person that you can be in that role um, is important. And I think that's reevaluating it often. I, I think that it's not something that you can just look at once every five years and walk away. I'm constantly saying, how can I do this better, faster? smarter, not harder, right? Mm -hmm. So really looking at that efficiency process. Sometimes you just need to take, take a walk, take a, take a walk around the building, whether it's two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, just get up from your computer um, away from screen time and just take a deep breath, take a drink of water, give yourself that little break to then be able to sit down and focus again. Effective communication always is key for me. I know I, I keep saying it communication, 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 but I really believe that that's number one across the board and at work. Um, flexibility as well, you know, on both sides. Um, At home, like we discussed, unplugging. I also think it's important if you live in a household with others, really to distribute responsibilities at home. I know that I don't micromanage at work. I probably micromanage at home a little bit. (laughs) I want to make sure everything's in a certain place and in a certain order. But I think it's important to distribute home responsibilities as well so that you don't feel like everything is on you. Um, that you're not the only one doing everything. And and that helps. I've I've had a hard time with that, but I have done that and it does help. Don't overcommit. And when I say don't overcommit, you don't have to say yes to everything that you're invited to or every function that you feel like you need to be at. You don't need to be at everything. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's also been a hard one for me, but don't overcommit. You know, take a day to just be home. And um, stay active. You I, you have to stay active. Um, you sit at your computer. A lot of us sit at our computers all day, every day. And and that's not necessarily the greatest thing either. So I say, when you are at
0: home, stay active. Walk. Do something. Yeah, I have really found that to be super successful. You know, I, I probably do about 75% of my job remote from home in my home office. And I have found that productivity has gone up. And just my overall job satisfaction has gone up i almost every single day stop about midday to work out a lot of times it's walking going for a hike something like that clear my head think about creative things like the topic to a podcast or something like that trying to think through uh, different things like that strategically and creatively and being able to just come back and feel fresh and refocused and ready to tackle the next job. So it makes my workday instead of feel like a eight or 10 hour day, it's a four or five hour morning and a four or five hour afternoon, instead of all that huge chunk of just working at a time. I also completely agree with you about getting up. I think People are more inclined to do that in the office. People, have, a lot of people have trained themselves like, I'm going to get up every hour or two and go do something. And it kind of happens organically when you're in an office. You know, someone pops their head in the door, you got to run over and talk to somebody or grab something from the, the, post office or whatever i think it's a lot harder to structure that in your home environment so a lot of times i'll do things like i need to fill my water cup i need to go make a cup of coffee and i try to do those things every hour or two so i'm getting up i'm moving around i'm coming back with fresh eyes and again all i've seen is adding those couple of breaks to my day has actually improved productivity the other thing that i found has been really successful as a stay at home or work from home employee is Setting boundaries on Zooms. You know, in this day and age, you're working from home, but you could be dressed up and 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 ready to go for a Zoom more hours than you were when you worked in an office with the way Zooms and scheduling go. So I really try to limit the hours that I schedule most Zooms. It doesn't mean if there's a need to do a Zoom outside those hours, I won't do it. Of course I will. But uh, I find most of the time I can get them scheduled you know, late morning, early afternoon, Monday through Thursday. And I'm able to have one or two days a week where I don't have to feel the pressure to get all dressed up and be ready for a professional Zoom. So that doesn't work for everybody, but it works for the position I'm in. And it's really helped me to enjoy working from home a lot more than i did once zooms kind of came on the scene
1: yes and i I recently was talking to a colleague not so long ago and they they were talking to me about the whole work-life balance and and she's a entirely in a hybrid position and her challenge of working from home and being at home and always being in the same place at the same time and you know one of the things i asked her was well you know do you have a designated area in your house and some of us you may not be able to have a room set aside for an office, but, you know, you need to designate an area in your house. So you feel like you have that office space, um, you know, that, that you're not sitting in the same place, you know, where you like to lounge and watch TV is not the same place that you're sitting at and working makes a big difference. I also said Mm -hmm. to her, you know, I kind of got into that funk during COVID as well. And you know, what kind of changed it for me? Um, I was, Getting up in my pajamas and I was on my laptop and nine hours later, my husband would come home and say, you're still in the same spot in your pajamas. And I would say, yeah. So I think I had to change that mentality of you still get up, you still get a shower, you still do your hair, you still put your makeup on and you, you just, you work, but you're working from home. Um, I think it's important that even when you work from home in order to be able to separate the two and have that work-life balance is to just really get up, get dressed Have that designated area so that you feel like that's your work zone, that's your workspace. And then home's home once you're off work.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. When I was living in a smaller home and I had kind of one room that served as my work area and also was my family room, I actually set up a different comfortable seat, because this was pre-Zoom era, set up a really comfortable seat to work in during the day, but then changed to a totally different angle of the room and onto a couch for the evening and and my own free time. And even though I was in the same room, just changing the angle I was at and the seat I was in made a huge difference. I knew one chair was for work and one chair was for relaxing. So Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't agree more. And you know, some people do best having that designated space. I have a designated space, but I also really appreciate the opportunity to have two or three other spots in my house where if I'm just kind of feeling you know, not motivated, losing my energy. I can move to a different spot. I love to sit and work on my back deck when I'm not in the middle of Zooms and things like that. I find my productivity just soars when I'm able to be outside. I'm still working. I'm still very focused on what I'm doing, but just that change in environment for me can be really positive. So I think it depends on the person, but I think at a minimum, you at least have to have that dedicated space. I agree. So, you know, one of the questions that comes up a lot when we talk about work-life balance is kind of the struggle between, the more mature generation and the newer generations coming into the workforce. And, you know, we go back to the time in the 80s and 90s. It was kind of expected that you're going to work 60, 70 hours a week if you wanted to have any sort of success and be an executive of any sort. And, you know, we have these new generations kind of pushing back on that idea, saying that's 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 not how we want to live our lives. And we still think we can be just as successful. So how do you kind of navigate helping people from that older generation who did work 60 or 70 hours when they were younger Um, with this younger generation. It's really kind of pushing back on that culture and saying, we're not willing to do that. I would say that is probably um, a very difficult
1: piece um, to all of this. Uh, I think that the, this, this generation is is quite different um, when it comes to that. The way I have found to show that clearly is that, again, with deadlines and and productivity. Um, And so things that may have taken 60 and 70 hours, again, 10 plus years ago, simply don't take that long anymore. You know, we were doing 15 years ago when I started with the company, we still did a lot by pen and paper, right? Mm, So things that took an hour plus to do because, we weren't as electronic. And this was before days of integration where your HR database didn't communicate with your payroll database, didn't communicate with this database. And so you would have one thing you're entering in three different databases. So the time that people had to put into things 10 plus years ago, I think just electronically and technology driven has come such a long way that it has eliminated. It's not necessarily that the new grads don't want to put in the time. It's that they can just get things done quicker also.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was having an interesting conversation with a colleague recently. We were talking about this exact thing and they said, think about what happened in the industrial revolution. Most people worked seven days a week, 365 days a year. There was no vacation. There was no sick time. If you couldn't show up to work because you had pneumonia, you just lost your job. That was what happened back then. And you know The fruit of that, and they worked really long hours too. A lot of them worked 10 or 12 hours days and they were very physical jobs. And the fruit of that was everybody died when they were like 40 or 50, like it was unsustainable. And then we looked to what was happening in the 70s, 80s, and 90s where everyone was working long and hard. And we saw particularly among men, they tend to die 10 years sooner than women, and they were the primary breadwinners for a lot of those years. And as we begin to see more and more women enter the workforce and work those hours, we see that their life expectancy was really affected by it too. So it's interesting to me to think about how, uh, if we can achieve this a balance, and I think, you know, things like AI and technology, everyone's so scared of them, but it's never going to be able to replace humans. The essential functions of a job cannot be done by AI. They can take care of some of the tedious, almost like goofy work that we've been doing for years, like you said, by paper because things weren't integrated or, you know, just some of the things that we used to have to scan and now you can just do it all on your computer. I I, I work paper free now and I could have never done that even five or six years ago. So, I think um, the essential functions of the job can continue to get done in 40 hours a week. And I think it's going to make for a lot better health for us as an entire population.
1: Absolutely. Really, you should evaluate as well, you know, the technology and what, what what is happening within your organization to make sure that every program and every resource that you have is, is being used, utilized to the fullest capabilities that it can be both generations, you know, that I work with. And I I learned something new from the younger generation every day. Mm -hmm. I had a, I had a college intern here uh, this summer and they went over to the scanner and they, they put something in and they showed it to me. And I was like, how'd you just do it? How did you just do that? And I forget, I forget exactly the detail of it. And they're like, well, you don't have to do it like that. You can do it like this. And it takes less than, you know, half the amount of time. And I was like, I didn't know that. Um, And so I think, you know, just making sure that you're constantly reevaluating the resources you have and and taking ideas from people or when people offer a suggestion, you know, look into it and and
0: make sure that you're being as productive as inefficient as possible. Absolutely. And I think for one final question, I just want to talk a little bit about new grads with you. You know, you work in contract rehab, you help us with consulting, you even have worked with some clothing boutiques, some restaurants, and even an axe throwing bar. So you have an exposure to a lot of different new grads, both those just out of high school and out of college. What do you think are the unique challenges and the unique opportunities with have with these groups and how do we kind of work around them?
1: In all businesses that I work in on a day-to-day basis, COVID definitely hurt new grads when it comes to social interaction and just social communication skills, that side of things, Um, putting people behind computers and cell phones and keeping everyone at home for so long really did a lot of harm to our new grads Mm -hmm. uh, in the social realm of things. It's really teaching them, whether it's healthcare or whether it is our axe throwing bar, um, teaching them and training them from day one how to engage with people and look someone in the eye face-to-face and say, hello, that that's the piece that I see in almost every interview that I do. The social interaction is not there. I think it'll come back around, but it definitely, definitely had a huge impact on that piece of it. Um, It's a lot easier to sit behind a Zoom camera and talk and have a meeting than it is to sit face-to-face with someone. And then once you're face-to-face with someone, you can see how uncomfortable someone is in a chair or at a table. And it's really refining and getting the new grad population comfortable being in a room and being around people and interacting face-to-face again because they, they just haven't done it. Positive things about new grads? I love new grads. I love new grads because I think that they are hungry. Most mm-hmm. of them, I think mm-hmm. that they are enthusiastic. They want to make a name for themselves. They want to prove to whether it's their parent or a grandparent or even their new employer that they are somebody and they are here and they're going to make a name for themselves. I think the technology piece, I think sometimes they teach us things because mm-hmm. they are very technology savvy. Um and I, I think they bring new positive perspectives that maybe we don't think about. So I am always very opening to listening to, mm-hmm. to everyone, but especially to my new grads when they have an idea or when they have a new process or a way or thought about how something can be done because nine times out of 10, it's a really, really great idea. And it it, it also makes them feel very validated to bring something like that to a new employer. So The last piece to that, I would say, is that with new grads and why I love employing new grads is because you also get to train them and to see them grow from day one to day 90 or year one is really a great, great process to witness. And you're training them and setting the expectations that you want from day one. So you're creating and you're really fostering that role of who you want in that position and who they are and what you need from them. Um, And a lot of times if you hire someone in HR, for example, that's been in the field 20 years, you bring that person in and you have a really hard time kind of getting them on your ship or your boat and and training them in your philosophies and how you do things. So new grads all around, I am all for. I think they are great new hires um, out of the door. But like I said, the, the negative piece that I do see to it Um, definitely as the social interaction skills have lacked very much so in the last four plus years.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think you just have to be smart. Putting new grads in the right position for them, you can't expect them to have a high level executive position right out of college and be successful. It's just never going to happen. And I think you just have to be willing to invest the time to teach and train them whatever it is they don't know. If they lack some social skills, you have to have those uncomfortable conversations sometimes and let them know, like, This is how you're coming across. This is what I need you to do differently. Like, we're going to do some more meetings. I'm going to invite you to some more meetings. I want you to just get used to being in the meeting, saying hello to people, shaking hands. Like, this is what my expectation is. And it feels like we shouldn't have to tell people things like that. But if that's what's going to make them successful, and it's that tiny little barrier that keeps them from being the right fit for our organization Mm -hmm. and representing us the way we want, A simple conversation is usually all it takes. And as you said, they're more than willing to do those things. They just need a little grooming, a little training sometimes. Absolutely. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for your insight today. I hope all of our listeners gained at least one new idea or strategy that you can implement today. Thank you so much for having me, Melissa was wonderful. Thank you, Kristen. And if you'd like to learn more about gravity, please don't hesitate to reach out to me directly. And you can always find me and Kristen on LinkedIn. Please let us know how we can assist you. Thanks for joining us. And if you enjoyed today's content, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Remember, it's not just what you know, but how you apply it that makes all the difference. See you next time.